This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories in Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I am editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist with Mississippi Today. Hey, Mississippi native Clark Ritchie is somewhat of a one-man band, a professional mechanical engineer, a singer-songwriter, an actor, a producer, a writer, a director... And here in the studio, that's pretty awesome, too. I would say he's kind of a renaissance guy, to be honest with you. Uh, anyway, Clark can do just about everything. And now adding to the list, he's a, he'll nationally release his feature film, Mysterious Circumstance, The Death of Meriwether Lewis. And that will be coming out next month. It's hard to believe that. Coming up September 9th, I believe. Here to discuss the film, his production company, Six Shooter Studios, his theater, The Claude Gentry, and just uh, how he juggles everything. Uh, it's, I was joking a little bit earlier when we were talking. It was kind of like he's air traffic control at Hartsfield uh, Jackson Airport in Atlanta. I know you got so many planes going around. It's a good thing he's an engineer because obviously he's a lot smarter than I am. Well, Clark, welcome to the show. Um, welcome to Now You're Talking. Hey, it's a real pleasure to be here. I've uh, been looking forward to this ever since we made the connection a week or so ago. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm thrilled to have you here just because, A, I'm a, a lover of history. I love the story of Meriwether Lewis and so forth, and I can't wait to deep dive in that. I also love creativity, and I love people that, you know, dive into a new project and fall in love with doing something like what you have done with filmmaking, and I can't wait to get that out of you, too. Um, I, I just want to go ahead and acknowledge today, uh, today as we are having this conversation, is the 17th anniversary of Hurricane uh, Katrina storming onto the Mississippi Gulf Coast and all the way through Mississippi. As I say, most of the state of Mississippi was a disaster area. It's hard to believe because, you know, and I remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember driving in to the office thinking in my head, hey, it's going to rain. I won't have to water my lawn today, you know, because I'd never been in a landfalling hurricane of that magnitude, you know, even though we're 150 miles inland from the coast. I thought, it's not going to be a big deal uh, in Jackson. And it was a big deal in Jackson. It was a huge deal on the coast. And I remember around 1030 in the morning being in the newsroom at the Clarion Ledger, where I worked at the time, uh, someone yelling across the newsroom, there's water on the second floor of the Beau Rivage. And I think that was the moment that we all knew that the Mississippi Gulf Coast was never going to be the same. Uh, I, you know, and it's it's so easy. We could relive the whole day. And I think a lot of the folks on the coast would like to forget the day and, and have kind of tried to move on with their lives. 
But I will say this, um, and I wrote a book called Chainsaws and Casseroles. It is not a cookbook. It is about the general thought that in Mississippi that when a tornado hits or a natural disaster happens, before you can crawl out of the rubble, there will be a church van in your front yard full of people with chainsaws and casseroles because yes. they're going to cut the tree off your house and they're going to feed you. And that was one thing that we saw um, after the storm because anybody with a plan that day, it got washed out to sea. Uh, I cannot tell you, if you did not see the coast after Hurricane Katrina, um, description just can't do it. It was What you saw on television was like looking through a toilet paper tube. You just could not just comprehend the magnitude of the destruction that day. Um, and it was all five senses. It was the smell, the touch, the taste. I mean, you literally, it was horrific. And it was that way for months. But I think the only thing that gave me hope, and it's something that still gives me hope, to be honest with you, and I'm not going to editorialize here, but I mean, after what we've been through the last two or three years, uh, particularly with the pandemic, one of the things that, that gave me hope about after Katrina was that before the wind stopped blowing, that people literally were cutting their way down Highway 49 because Hattiesburg was a mess. I mean, Laurel was a mess. There was so much damage inland, too. They cut their way down to the coast, and then they helped people. And they kept helping people. And it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't like, oh, we were going to look after ourselves. We literally practiced the things that we learned on Sunday, seven days a week until the need was met. Right. Um, 17 years later, it's hard to believe it. I mean, I was sitting there looking, I was doing the math in my head because I'm not an engineer, uh, yeah. unlike you. Uh, well, I have to do the math in my head, though. I know, but doesn't it blow your mind 17 years? It, it, it doesn't seem possible that it's that long ago. And Marshall, my first memory uh, or my main memory of that time was our church, First Baptist Church in Ball, Mississippi, yeah. immediately starting packing up water and everything we could and, and crews going down to help. And so that, you know, what you said is exactly right. The first response of people here seems to be that we're going to go and help. And uh, it's, uh, it's a good characteristic for Mississippians. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that whenever you see something happen, you're thinking there, but for the grace of God, go I. Because, you yes. know, you can be next and you know that they're going to come help you. And, and I think, you know, you can carry that around in your pocket right over your heart. And it gives you a little bit of hope when you start getting cynical about the world. Right. So but anyway, um, for those who went through Katrina, those who pieced back their lives or had, had to piece back their lives together. Um, our thoughts are with you today. It's obviously a, a uh, you know, and, and I remember on the 10th anniversary, and, and I'll end with this, uh, I went to go visit one of the houses that I'd worked at, and I'd helped the guy look for his wife's wedding ring, believe it or not. We were digging through the debris. Um, right next door, six people had died. I did a drawing about it. It was part of my Pulitzer finalist portfolio that year. And um, I was talking to him, and George Bush had just come, and big first responders um you know, big celebration. It was really a nice event. And and I go and I knock on his door and he comes out and he sits down with me and he'd rebuilt his house. It was the last house destroyed by the surge as it came in and passed Christian. And he and I were sitting on the front step and talking about, you know, the last 10 years of him recovering and all the hurdles he had to jump through and insurance issues and everything else. And he said, I'm just sick of talking about it. I want to move on. So we will move on. So in, in his honor, uh, Clark, thank you for coming in today. Uh, congratulations on the movie. Um, talk about, uh, I, I think having a baby in nine months is, is hard, but putting out a movie, I would think it would be way harder in some ways. I'm not going to join you on I, that. I, I, would, I, I would have no idea on either one. So to be honest with you, but I'm just saying there's, there's a lot of effort that puts into it, but you get a lot of satisfaction once 
um, your baby is going to be born. And yes. it's going to be born September 9th. It's going to be born September 9th. Actually, September 8th in Tampa, Florida and Baton Rouge, but September 9th in the rest of the country and here in Jackson. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks so much. Okay. So let's just go ahead and get started on the inspiration of the film. And I mean, folks, I don't think they really realized that Meriwether Lewis was literally, he was Elvis. He was Neil Armstrong. He was Charles Lindbergh. He was truly the rock star of his time. He was. I mean, he had gone across the country with the Corps of Discovery, Jefferson's Corps of Discovery. He had returned. People thought he was dead or the whole crew was dead, but he returns his um, triumphantly to St. Louis in 1806. And three years later, Marshall, 1809, he dies in the middle of the Tennessee wilderness along the Natchez Trace. It's a, it, it's a, it's a mystery. People, many people don't uh, conceive of it as a mystery. They think it's a settled history uh, that he committed suicide. But uh, many others, able historians, believe that uh, there are many strange and suspicious aspects of his death, and we try to explore that with the movie. How did you get interested in him and in history and in movie making and particularly up in North Mississippi? Well, I've lived about nine lives, and I, I don't know if I'm in the eighth one or the ninth one. So, uh, and none this, of that includes childbirth. None of that includes childbirth. Okay, I'm going to dig my way out of this before the end of this show. <laughs> but it's a, this is the culmination of a lifetime of dabbling. Yeah, you know that that's where I am in life, and. Uh, I've always been interested in history. I've written columns for our uh, local newspaper, the Baldwin News, there in Baldwin, Mississippi, my home. The Natchez Trace uh, is just a few miles east of us. And I, when I was a kid, I watched Daniel Boone. I watched Davy Crockett. Those are the, the shows that uh, interested me and excited me. And I loved that time when Mississippi, especially North Mississippi, where I lived, where I stood, was the wild, wild west. And I think... That the stories from that era, and especially related to the Natchez Trace, are the things that really get my creative juices flowing. Natchez Trace, if people don't know, it wasn't just the the, the very beautiful parkway that you can drive from here to Nashville. <laughs> no. Uh, no, it was literally a well worn road that was dangerous. It was they one book called it the Devil's Highway. The Devil's Highway, exactly. Uh, uh, Devil's Backbone. That's right. Devil's, Devil's Backbone. Backbone. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. That, I mean, it was a very dangerous place for many, many years. It was just a walking trail of the Chickasaw Indians. And before that, even a, a, an animal trail where uh, buffalo and deer went to Nashville to salt licks. And that's what started the trail. And there are times when it was, you couldn't, take a wagon on it at all it was a horse or on foot and it's remarkable to me because what happened was people would float their their goods down the mississippi river and the ohio then to the mississippi they'd land in new orleans and their way back was to get on the natchez trace and walk back and they walked back across the country through nashville then on to the cumberland on through the Cumberland Gap into the eastern uh, seaboard. And that's what they did. And they returned to their homes and they did the whole process again. And at that time in this country, uh, the greatest names and figures were traveling the Natchez Trace. The Andrew Jacksons and the Aaron Burrs and the James Audubons, they were all there walking up and down the Natchez Trace. And so was Meriwether Lewis. Yeah, definitely. And his his story was he was headed down trying to get to Washington 
and was going to go by ship, but didn't go by ship and decided to cut cross country. Anyway, that's right. I'll let you flesh out as much as that as you want to, because I don't want to spoil any of the movie. Right. I, our movie takes place uh, in a couple of days yeah. in the wilderness uh, around the time of his death. And so the the circumstances that put Meriwether Lewis in that place are talked about somewhat, but they're not they're not shown. So you mentioned um, getting off there at Chickasaw Bluffs in Memphis and not going down to New Orleans. Well, Meriwether Lewis had a little bit of a conflict, maybe a large conflict, with James Wilkinson, who was the head of the U.S. Army in the West at that time. And later on, after his death, Wilkinson was proven to be a spy for Spain all along. And he preceded Lewis as the uh, as the governor of the Louisiana Territory. So uh, some people speculate that Lewis stopped his down uh, river travel in Memphis and went across land to Washington to avoid um, any kind of encounter with Wilkinson in New Orleans, where he was in control at the time. I've had that experience before with people that I didn't want to see, you know, to cut across there. But this one happened in the grocery store quite often. It definitely, <laughs> definitely. So anyway, he was at this point, and he there was some, he was going to Washington to deal with some some debt issues and some yeah some right. yeah so the, yeah he had the the. The main reason he was going to Washington was the War Department was not paying his uh, bills that he was sending in. He was sending in receipts for uh, – human beings in 2022 and human beings in 1809 are exactly the same. They're not paying my bills. I got to go and see about this. So that's what he was doing. He couldn't call on the phone in those days. You got to go check on it. So he – he literally was going to cross the country. And, you know, for Meriwether Lewis, going from St. Louis to Washington, that may not have seemed like a very big deal after going all the way to the Pacific Ocean. I was about to say, at least yeah. he had a road this time. Right, you know, he right. wasn't just having to go up a river nobody had ever been up before. So. Exactly. That, I tell you, that, I mean, it's a great story. And you think about it, you are literally trapped in your house like the rest of us. A lot of us watch Netflix and, and binge-watched you know, TV. You sit down and crank out four movie scripts. I did. I did. Let me ask you, but let's back up just a little bit, though. How did you learn how to write movie scripts? Because you're an engineer. Well, that's a really good question, and I'm not sure that I even know the answer to that. I will say this. uh, Actual screenwriters sometimes describe my screenplays, and they say they give me some technical term for for some version of what I've done there, and I have no idea what they're talking about. You're Googling it while they're talking <laughs> yeah, to I'm you. I'm Googling it, trying to learn what the, uh, what is the definition of what you're saying to me. But no, I, I've, I've always been a great storyteller, and that comes from my... Uh, uh, listen to me blow my own horn there, but I've been a storyteller. Uh, it's passed down in Mississippi yeah. a well, lot of times. that's what we do. That's what we do. My, my dad told stories, and they were just outlandish stories, you know, about things, and they just went on and on and on, and other... Other aspects would come in and other characters as the story was told verbally. And my grandfather did the same thing. And it's just a tradition. You know, I think probably not unique to me, but uh, I guess uh, one thing about writing a script, I'll I'll switch back and try to come back to your original question. Uh, Being an engineer and having that analytical side, there is a lot of analytical analysis um, that goes into writing. You've got to get from point A to point B. And you've got to tell that story in a pattern that is compelling to an audience, to a reader, to someone who's going to view it. You don't want all of your action to start at the first, and then it just basically fade away. You know, So there's a lot of analytics that go into that. And 
I would say in Mysterious Circumstance, The Death of Meriwether Lewis, when you do see the film, you will see, hmm, this may have been written by an engineer because it's very um, precise in the way things are put together. Um, I don't think you'll perceive it in the watching, but in the aftermath, I think you'll you'll consider that and say, that's really interesting how you put that together. What were the other three scripts about? Uh, well, one other script was about uh, Lorenzo Dow, who was a preacher on the Natchez Trace. He was a Methodist circuit rider, and uh, it was said that he could bring down the devil when he was preaching. So it, that one turned a little when bit was su- he, when supernatural. Was he, when was he a super? When was he a circuit rider? What time? I, I'm going to think that's probably about 1820. It may have okay. been. It may have been at exactly the same time. I actually used the uh, the the Chickasaw Indian chief George Colbert at. Um, and his ferry across the Tennessee River. I think I refer to both of them in both Mysterious Circumstance and in yeah. uh, that one, I, which I call the devil and the cosmopolite, which was a term he used for himself. Yeah, my great-great-grandfather was a Methodist circuit writer in that area, but he oh, was really? after the Civil War. But he, uh, I, he founded Wood College up in Matheson and so yeah. forth. So I was, I was just kind of curious. Well, it's, it, it, a character like that is just so interesting to yeah. me that uh, – Almost like Meriwether Lewis, he just launches out there into the wilderness yeah. to, to on his mission, and uh, that's that's he feels compelled to do that, and that's what he does. And he puts himself in tremendous danger, right? And everything was dangerous at that time because there's no support. You're just on the frontier, and you're dealing with uh, the things that God gave you: your wits and your <laughs> strength, and whatever weapons and materials you could carry, and that's all you've got. And so it's just an interesting time to me. And so I wrote one uh, about that. I wrote one about uh, uh, a ghost story later on that uh, also was in the same general area and, and a little bit connected. And uh, I forget what the fourth one was, but it, yeah. it it's, it's out there. It's in the it's in the pipeline. That's cool. That is very cool. This one, of course, the, 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 turned into a movie. So you, you managed to. When you got done with it, what did you? Who did you show it to, and what kind of feedback did you get on this? Well, my partner in Six Shooter Studios is Amy Gusey. She's yeah. an actress in Tupelo, and and we worked together on so many things. And uh, so she's sort of my uh, my check on yeah. almost everything. And so I showed it to Amy, and she she liked it. And then I showed it to some other producer friends of mine, uh, Robbie Frit- Fisher, who's a film producer in Water Valley. I showed it to her as well, and she liked it as well. I showed it to my English comp teacher <laughs> from uh, Ole Miss, uh, now you're my getting freshman brave. English yeah. comp teacher, Tony Franks. He lives in Winona, and he, he read it, and he, uh, he gave me a thumbs up. And so I, I rolled with it. That's I, awesome. I can tell you some more about why exactly that was the script that we chose to go forward with, if if you'd like to hear that. The the uh, it all happens in two locations. You're on the Natchez Trace. You're at a cabin. There's a limited number of people, and so we could we could make that movie, and we could make that movie a big movie with a few people. You didn't have to do it with a Top Gun budget. We didn't have to blow up anything. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so uh, that's that's one of the main reasons we chose that. And you but just happened to have a perfect location to film it, too. We had a perfect location, and that was the key. Uh, the Mississippi uh, Parks Department uh, granted us access to Tishomingo State Park, which was one of the locations we filmed at. Yeah. From the time of my childhood, I've loved Tishomingo State Park, and uh, it had the exact topography that we needed to film this early Natchez Trace movie. 
That's perfect. We'll talk about making the movie and the process of that. And it, it, too, we were talking about a little bit how there's people going to say it going, wait a minute, that chimney's not right or whatever he does. So <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit of we'll that. We'll tell a little bit of that too, but this is really fun. So you're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-large at Mississippi Today. Well, in with us is a man who wears many hats. He's a writer, director, producer, and much more. In fact, he's an actual mechanical engineer. Alive, one of those as well. And uh, <laughs> next month, his there will be his new movie is going to be nationally released. I'm so happy for you on that. It's called The Mysterious Circumstance: The Death of Meriwether Lewis. Thank and you, I, I tell you, um, like I said, you, here you are. You own Quail Ridge Engineering. You are a mechanical engineer. And literally, you have figured out how to make a movie. And, and you were telling me a little bit during the break. You said that you could actually write a comedic screenplay on the actual making of this movie. Definitely could. Uh, the Tell fir- me more. <laughs> day, day one was, was interesting. Here I am. I've been an engineer for 25 or 30 years. And I've, as I said earlier, I've dabbled in many things. Well, all of a sudden... I'm at Tishomingo. I'm in Tishomingo County, Mississippi. I'm at an uh, 1840s era cabin. There's no power. I've got John Schneider, Bo Duke, on a horse riding full speed up towards this cabin. I got chickens. I got a dog. I got a kid. I got Marcus Dupree. I got 12 actors, and I'm in charge of the whole thing. And about two thirds of the way through the day. I just wondered to myself what exactly I had bitten off, and <laughs> it, it was a it, it turned out perfectly. I, I I tell some of our other producers sometimes that the the project that we chose to make there was a razor's edge that mm-hmm. we could walk to a successful completion, and we stayed on that edge now for two years. And we've reached a point of a successful completion. But it, it was overwhelming for me that first day as a first-time director, first-time writer. Everything uh, all culminated with um, we shot the ending of the movie on day one. That's wow. what we shot. Yeah. Day one, the ending of the movie. So it wasn't like it, it wasn't important. So, Clark, why don't you pi- try something difficult on the first day? But we got through it. Clark, seriously, uh, and I think about how I've learned to do everything I've done. It's usually through a lot of trial and error on this. How did you learn how to direct a movie? How did you learn how to produce a movie? How did you how did you learn how to do all these things that you've done? Well, um, as as far as directing, um, I had directed in a theater before. Yeah, you know, so I had directed creatively in um, various plays and and things like that. I'd also put together musical shows, but. Truthfully, uh, just being the president of my engineering company for 25 years, I've had people working there that, uh, you know, we had resources, we had deadlines. And when you're doing a project, you have to plan it out. Same thing. In in many ways, producing a movie and uh, producing a a project, a manufacturing project or an engineering project, they're very much the same. Except for the product, you got to deal with a bunch of creative people. Yeah, which is really- you got you're, you're dealing. Your creative people are are your your parts and pieces that you're putting together, and the creativity is what you're putting together instead of uh, conveyors and steel structure. You had a great mix of, you know, obviously nationally known John Snyder uh, actors, but right. you also had some local folks too, which is kind of cool because right. that'll make it fun for people. 
you know, in North Mississippi to watch it going, hey, I know that person. But how did you end up getting John Snyder on board and what's he like? What I mean, was he good to, to work with? Oh, John's a very personable guy. He uh, he was in there for five or six days. Uh, he was a pleasure to work with. And we, uh, you know, we, we were all a little starstruck with John. Cause yeah. it, but he... He just interacted with everyone and the and just like a normal person. So he know? didn't bring his ego in on two, in two suitcases. Well, everybody has an ego now, so he, <laughs> so he he definitely he definitely knows he's John Schneider now. Right? Okay, yeah. Okay. But uh, but, and we did, but and we did and we did too. But uh, yeah, John was great. John came into the Belmont Historic Hotel there for wardrobe, and uh, we put him in some Daniel Boone buckskins, and he looked great. And we put him on a horse and said, "Take off, John." So and he did. I have to say, on directing John Schneider, of course, he's been in six million different things in his whole career. Was it was he was he just open to any suggestions or direction, or did he have a good idea of what he needed to be doing? John John had some good ideas on, on what he needed to do. I, I will say this: this is this is my one John Schneider story. Okay. We sent everybody. We sent everybody. Well, I, I got more than one, but I'll give you this one first. Okay. We sent everybody to horse training, okay? So we had them in a, a horse arena, and they were riding horses. And uh, John been in Westerns before, so he probably didn't need that at all. But but we'd send everyone to horse training. And almost all of my actors, you know, they said, oh, sure, sure, we can ride a horse. We can ride a horse, no problem. But uh, everyone was riding their horse at, like, the speed I would ride the horse at. Yeah. I'm just going to walk this horse up. Well, John... He rode his horse at a gallop, a full gallop. And I've said since that time, John was more concerned with looking good on camera than he was his personal safety. And that's the mark of a true superstar. That's right. He's a pro. (laughs) He's He's a pro. He's a truly a pro. (laughs) Who were some of the other actors you had in Well, playing Meriwether Lewis was a guy named Evan Williams. He's from Calgary, Alberta originally, but he was in L.A. Uh, We contacted his management in... um, L.A. to to be a part of the movie. He looked like Meriwether Lewis. He's the right age really of Meriwether does, Lewis, yeah. and he was a he was a quality actor. He was on Versailles for five seasons, and and Evan was a great find for us. Uh, another L.A. actor, Sonny Marinelli, who's been in Vegas and Entourage. Uh, Sonny came over and he played uh, the owner of the inn, and those are two of our L.A. guys that came in. Uh, and of course, John came up from Louisiana, where his home is. We had two New Orleans actors, Billy Slaughter and Lance Nichols, and the rest of the cast was from uh, Mississippi. So and Amy Gousset from Tupelo, who's my partner in uh, Six Shooter Studios, she played the lead female, and it's the only female in the in the uh, in the in the movie, and she plays Priscilla Grinder, the last witness to Meriwether Lewis alive. And that's historically true. Did she have an automatic in, or did you make her work for it? No, no. She. <laughs> well, we worked on the project together. We knew we were heading that way. I think we we probably had the flexibility to change it, but we didn't. And okay. it's a good thing we didn't. She's won Best Actress twice in two different film festivals that's for amazing. her performance. In that's this. great. We're let's. I tell you, what, let's just go ahead and jump into the film festivals. It's done well, and and that's that's got to make you feel good. That. That is the most encouraging thing is that when we actually got the film into certain film festivals and an audience saw the film, the reaction was consistently positive. And um, in fact, we were in Dubuque, Iowa at the Julian Dubuque International Film Festival, and uh, they put us in this historic theater for our, our screening, and the theater had three levels of balcony and it looked like something off the Muppet show, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that's my, that's my level of experience, Marshall is, hey, that theater looks like the Muppet show. 
So we're in there, and they got these box seats and everything, and it's 600 and something seats in there. And I said, oh, my goodness, you know, this is where we're going to screen. I hope, you know, we don't hear crickets chirping. Well, over 500 people attended. And then when the screening was over, uh, they stuck around for like an hour of question and answer. And you know how it is in a film festival. If you don't enjoy the movie, you're you're easing on out. And they didn't. And they stuck around for a, a long session of question and answers. And uh, we won that festival. We won Best Feature in that. So that that was a very encouraging experience there in Dubuque, Iowa. And we appreciate that festival very much. Yeah, you've gotten both critical acclaim and, you know, it's gotten audience favorites also. So that's been good. Yes, yes. Uh, it, it's won Best Feature five times. Um, and the Red Movie Awards in Reims, France. Honorose Film Awards in New York. L.A. Film Awards in Los Angeles. And also we won the Audience Award for Best Feature at the Gasparilla International Film Festival in Tampa, Florida. So it's very broad where it's found uh, an audience. So we're, we're very happy and very encouraged by that. And on top of that, speaking of broad audience, you have actually gotten a national uh, opening. I mean, it's going to be appearing in theaters in different cities around, and that that's great. Yes, I, you know, for an independent filmmaker, that's the ultimate. And we actually have achieved a theatrical release. Some of our theatrical releases coming in these big city theaters, independent theaters like the Tampa Theater in Tampa, Florida, uh, the Franklin Theater in Franklin, Tennessee, the uh, Magnolia Civic Center in New Albany. Uh, the Corinth Coliseum in Corinth, Mississippi. But some of it is, uh, is also with uh, regular movie chains. Malco Theaters, Memphis-based movie chain, Celebrity Theaters in Louisiana, Fairchild Cinemas in Washington State. They got a great interest in, in Meriwether Lewis in Washington State. Yeah. I guarantee you that. And then uh, Limley Theaters, which we're very proud of out in uh, North Hollywood. They're carrying the movie. And, uh, you know, Carl Limley started Universal. Oh, that's amazing. So it's in the same family. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. You know, like I said, Meriwether Lewis was was a rock star of his time. And you think about everything from Lewisburg, Tennessee, and to half the counties in the country are right. named Lewis. I mean, there's just a He literally was very, for 35 years old, he had gotten a lot done in his life. When you're sitting down writing the screenplay, obviously there was a lot of research you had to do, and you've been fascinated with this for a long time. So some of it you probably already knew. But when you write a screenplay like that, you know that there are going to be people that are experts in the field that are going to dog you on this thing and so forth. <laughs> was there? Did you have uh, people that were consultants and so forth that helped you with uh, kind of some of the history? Because there are two divergent thoughts on this. Number one, that he committed suicide, which is the, the general consensus. But there's also a lot of people that says, you know, wait a minute, he had a head wound and a gut wound. It's kind of hard to commit suicide and do all that at the same time. Right. There were a lot of circumstances. Talk a little bit about the circumstances of his death. And then how do you, you know, what, who were some of the people that you consulted? Well, uh, th- there are probably three general theories other than suicide and I, I'm not going to go into exactly and the those, third one, space aliens. Uh, I was, I was yes, saying. It could, you know, it could have been space aliens, but uh, there are three generally, um, you know, uh, theories that are put forward. Yeah. And so we, we try to give in our movie and I'm, I'm walking around the plot here a little oh, bit. Oh yeah. Don't want to give it away. But, but, but we're, we try, we try to give in, a right? little bit of, of okay. a hint, yeah. you know, there's a, a hint of what it could be. Um, but we consulted with what we felt like was one of the uh, experts and the, the national expert, Tony Turnbow. He's an yeah. author from Hohenwald, Tennessee. And I talked to Tony several times before we uh, before we um, started out making this movie. And I also talked to Dr. Bryant Boswell from uh, 
uh, Kosciuszko, who's the head of the or former head of the Mississippi Sons of the American Revolution. Uh, these guys are historic experts. Uh, I, I consider myself a historic expert, but they're at a di- they play in a different ball field. They're in a different yeah. league than I am. Uh, so I, I definitely wanted to know what they thought. And ultimately, though, Marshall, you got to make a movie, you know. Right. So, yeah. so you got to make a choice. You got to make choices at yeah. some point. And so uh, we had to make a few choices because what we wanted to do was we wanted to engage an audience, and we also wanted to entertain an audience. Right. You know. So we didn't want to make a, a docudrama. We didn't want to make a documentary. We wanted to make a narrative feature film that anyone could watch and say, "Oh, I love that movie." Mm-hmm. And a historian could watch and say, hey, I saw this, these various points that happened in the movie, and that's really interesting to me. And then maybe some ultra historians would look at it and say, hey, you got the hinge on that crate wrong, you know? <laughs> and I think that's probably going to happen a little bit too. But we, we did our very best to put together as accurate a historic uh, group of props and sets and costumes as we could. Well, and once again, props to Mississippi for being able to give you a very – uh, perfect background for it. Two locations. Uh, uh, you know, Andre Hollis, I spoke with him. He's the head of the Mississippi uh, Parks Department. And uh, th- they were just so helpful. And the Mississippi Film Office, Nina Parikh, um, just extremely helpful in us putting this movie together. Uh, also, the U.S. Car- Army Corps of Engineers actually really? gra- granted us access. They actually have the cabin under their uh, under their control, and they granted us access to use that cabin. So um, it, it was truly a Mississippi team effort putting this movie together. How did you put together? I mean, because obviously we talked about how you got the actors. You did an all call, and you you you. How did you get the cameras and and the back the 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 best the grip and the you know all these different things you see when they scroll at the end of the movie when it lasts five minutes all the people that help you put the movie together how did you put together that team well that that team is uh, also a product of my years of dabbling in in various different. Uh, parts of uh, art, artistry and creativity around Mississippi. I ran into uh, directors of photography and sound people. Our director of photography is Michael Williams from West Point, and Michael had directed some uh, or had shot some music videos for us, mm-hmm. and we did, a, we did a live radio show in Baldwin at the Claude Gentry Theater for, uh, for several months uh, called Second Saturday Live, and Michael shot those films for us, and we, we put a lot of those performances online. But... Um, so it's just a, a a lifetime of crossing paths with people and remembering uh, who you meet. Obviously, it's something that you're looking at. You're the director. You're seeing it every day. You're looking at the dailies. You, you, I mean, when you sat down for the first time and watched the completed film, how did it hit you? Oh, it, you, you you think it it at the same time is it exhilarating and rewarding as it is. Uh, just um, terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying uh, because I I not only see everything that's good, I also see everything that I think is questionable. Yeah. And that's the, that's my engineering nature. Yeah. Is, so I see everything, but ultimately you make choices and you make things as good as it can be and you put it out there in front of an audience and thank goodness we've had several audiences uh, feel this pretty good. And, and, uh, these theater chains and theaters that are willing to to uh, exhibit the movie and you know they watched it they liked it so 
we're happy about that. Obviously, uh, putting together a movie is not cheap and so forth. How do you do the financing on that and how much ballpark? I mean, you don't have to give me the exact number, but the ballpark on how much does it cost to put out a movie? Well, we're we're less than half a million on putting okay. this movie out. But uh, but we could have easily spent uh, ten times that. If, if we, you'd have gotten that per, we, perfect crate that you, yeah. you were talking about. Yeah. yeah, we could have easily spent ten times that. But uh, we, we went into this as being sort of the – uh, ultimate independent film. Yeah. And we pushed to the top end and we wanted it to be an independent film, but not look like an independent film. We yeah. wanted it to look like a Hollywood production. And so we, we raised enough money in uh, all Mississippi yeah. and we raised enough Mississippi money to make a Mississippi movie. Oh, that's great. You mentioned the theater, the Claude Gentry too. We got a couple minutes. We'll talk about that too. Clark, I tell you what, I know, that putting out an independent movie, usually it goes to a few film festivals and then kind of disappears and you kind of hope for maybe a streaming deal or something like that. But you're getting actual national distribution, like you just said to me in the break. That's not supposed to happen, but it is happening because obviously people like the movie. So congratulations. Right. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we we made a deal in Canada first yeah. with uh, uh, Michael Mosca, who's one of our executive producers and also our distributor in Canada. And uh, we will be distributed through Cinemas Gousseau in Quebec, mm -hmm. in Canada. And that will follow our American release. So that's one week after. September 16th will be released in Canada. And so uh, in working with Michael from that point, we uh, we made a deal with uh, Malco Theatres. And, you know, Malco Theatres is a Memphis-based company. Uh, when I was a kid in Baldwin, Tupelo area, if you go to the movie, you go into Malco. And that's that, that was our movie theater. So – uh, I didn't even realize that Malco was just a regional company, but uh, they are a regional company. But they're carrying us in two movies uh, in Collierville and Cordova, Tennessee. But they got 36, Marshall, in six <laughs> states. So everybody go to Cordova and Collierville those first two weeks. So and, they see that it's, made, it's doing yeah, well. They're going to say, oh, no, everybody will be in 36, theater, uh, 36 Malco theaters across six states. So. You're th they're thinking, hey, this is doing real well. We could sell a lot of popcorn. That'd be a good thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but you also – are going to be in several Mississippi theaters outside of that. We are. We are. And, and uh, we're going to be at the Capri Theater. Our premiere is at the Capri here in Which Jackson. is just such a neat theater. Oh, I, went yeah. la I went last night, yeah. and I walked up to the theater I, because I'm, I'm staying down in the Fondren area, and I decided I would, I would go to the movie and just check it out. And I walk up, and on the marquee it says, Coming soon, 9-9, Mysterious Circumstance. That's like an ultimate. I, I, I hope it's had, on the marquee. I took pictures. Oh, I'm about I've to already say, posted I hope you had it. selfies. Yeah, yeah okay, I posted it everywhere. Yeah. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> so that you know that was a, a, a great uh, a great surprise last night to to see that already up and our posters are up and everything in the theater and that's the Capri here and so they're going to open the the film on nine nine. I don't have the times on the other screenings that will show at the Capri, but the nine nine premiere is already on sale. Um, in North Mississippi, in our, our home country, uh, the Magnolia Civic Center in New Albany is going to have a red carpet event on Saturday night. That's 9-10. But they're also opening the movie on 9-9 and showing it uh, through the week. And those those tickets are on sale. In Corinth, Mississippi, which is closest to the actual filming of the uh, of the movie at the Corinth Coliseum, they're also uh, opening on 9-9. And we're having a Q&A on Saturday afternoon in Corinth. And then... On September 15th, we're at the Temple Theater in Meridian, 
And so the Temple Theater in Meridian, which is a huge historic theater there in yeah. Meridian, it's opening the film a few days after. They had a conflict on opening weekend, but they're opening on September 15th and, and beginning showings uh, from the 15th on. When you do the question and answers, like at the film festivals or so forth, what are some of the questions that you've been getting? Well, <laughs> the, first thing, the first thing they ask every time is, uh, is, that, is that what I really think? Or which, oh, or yeah. what do I really think? And I try not to declare what I really think because I want to leave it. Uh, uh, there's a li- maybe I guess a little bit of ambiguity in in what I think uh, and how it relates to the movie. So, but that's always the question because the question, typically, the people that are standing in line to ask questions are the historic people. Yeah, they're the ones who w- are, are just hungry to know some answer or what other people would think about something that I'm sure they hold a firm position on. Um, but as far as making the movie, the, you ask the question, how much this cost? How, yeah. how much did you make this thing for? You know, and, and the one thing that we want to, to do, and it's a great compliment to our, uh, our director of photography, Michael Williams, and to our colorist, Jared Hollinsworth in Hattiesburg, our sound guy, Jeffrey Reed in, in Oxford. I mean, it's a great testament to them when they look at that and say, you made that movie for that? Yeah. You know, and and they, uh, you know, they can take great pride in that. All of our Mississippi people can take great pride in that, that, that we made this movie for, I'm going to say, probably a third of what it should have been made for. And it, it, it shows. It's, it's a big time movie. It, that's the thing about movies in Mississippi. And, and, and I've lived here 25 years, so I'm a newcomer. But, um, you know, one thing I every time there's like the help or whatever movie it is that's filmed here, there's always so much pride that comes from that movie being in Mississippi. It's fun to go watch it because, oh, I recognize that place or I know that person or whatever. But there's like an afterglow effect, too, economically as well. Talk about the experience of dealing with the state and dealing with Nina and dealing with the, the, the film commission on actually getting that. And what are your thoughts about where Mississippi needs to go to create a really, and, and there are some great things going on. I, I mean, I interviewed Tate Taylor. That was really inspiring what they're doing down in Natchez. But what are, what are your thoughts on what needs to be done to create a really vibrant movie industry in Mississippi? Well, the, the precise steps are, are what's at question, I would say, Marshall, but what actually needs to, to have in the end product needs to be that there needs to be enough film projects being made that an industry can actually grow underneath it to uh, to satisfy it. And what I'm saying is, is we made Mysterious Circumstance in March of 2021, yeah. but we haven't made a, another movie since March of 2021. What needs to happen is there needs to be enough movies made, enough television shows made in a particular area that enough sound people and lighting people can actually have a career there and live there and work every day in that industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's beginning to happen, I think, a little bit in Natchez. Uh, I actually was an actor in Great Escapes with Morgan Freeman a couple of years ago, so oh. I got to go down Okay, uh, so you're an actor, year. too. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah I, okay. I, I, was, I went down and I played uh, Richard Matt, an, escaped, uh, an escapee at some New York uh, prison, and I had a great time, but I got to see Tate Taylor's operation down there. Yeah. Uh, they, they actually were... Uh, it was a History Channel production, so it wasn't Tate's production, but I got to see how he's got everything set up down there, and it's it's, it's remarkable. So if I think in Natchez, uh, they're, they're steps ahead of getting that where um, an industry set up where people can stay there and work, and my career is to work in the film industry, and I can work right here all the time. Uh, 
that's what I want to do in North Mississippi. I mean, that's my that's my larger goal behind the first goal of making a good movie. And you've really worked hard to help grow and and encourage the arts industry in Baldwin, haven't you? Well, yes. I, several years ago, uh, I put my engineering business on Main Street in Baldwin, Mississippi. It's a town of about 3,500, 3,600. And I made a decision that this is where I was born. This is where I've grown up and graduated high school. And this is where I'm going to live my life. And so I just made investments in that community. And I'm, I don't regret any of that. I'm very happy with where it's gone. Uh, we have a historic district downtown, four blocks. I've uh, renovated a theater, an art gallery, a diner, a coffee shop, and several other things down there. And I, I'm just happy over time that God has blessed me mm-hmm. with ability to do some things that I can help my community. And I'm I'm satisfied in life that I've been able to do that. And, you know, your family's you know, growing and you're in fact, you're even here to be able to watch a soccer uh, practice tonight. I'm going to, my oldest son is a, is a lawyer here in Madison at Gardner Ritchie and his uh, third son, Bryce has got soccer practice at five 30 tonight. So I'm going to, I'm going to check that out before I go North. Exactly. So not only are you a producer, an actor, a director, but you're also a very proud grandfather. A proud grandfather. Got four sons. Uh, my fourth son's playing football at Tennessee Tech, where I played football many, many, many years ago. And so I'm happy with him. But the other, my other three uh, sons are producing grandchildren. Well, that's that's a pretty cool production also. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let, let me just ask you a little bit, like I said. You're you've got this one. It's you know you you don't have to worry about making huge profits to be able to recoup your cost on it. But I mean, so what's next? How do you get the next movie rolling? Do you have a script in mind? Are you are doing that? Or are you just going to enjoy this one for a little while? No, I think uh, I think pretty much my enjoyment of this one is about over. I, really, okay. I, I'm I'm a I have a very compulsive uh, um, attitude, and so I, I'm I'm ready. I'm all for this, and I'm going to ride it to the end. I'm going to do every step that has to be taken. I'm going to take it. I'm going to leave no stones unturned, but I am ready to start a new project. And I have a couple of movies that are uh, out there right now and not ready to say what they are. But uh, one of them I think we have funded and can move forward uh, on in the spring. So That's wonderful. Totally different, totally different vein. But uh, I think it's ready to go. And and it happened, Marshall, because uh, the people involved saw Mysterious Circumstance. Yeah. And that's why they saw Mysterious Circumstance and they said, that's that's a quality movie and we can invest in that. And we can invest in the future with the people that put that movie together. And so that's... That's how it happened. Well, it sounds like if Clark Ritchie's going to write a success, uh, how to be successful book, it'd be number one, plan. Number two, have a good product. Number three, do the work. And then number four, if you do all those things and have a really good product, good things are going to happen. That's right. I, you know, if you, uh, if you have a good, of the things you said, the first thing I think is you got to have a good product. Yeah. And that planning and everything happens around that is that. Uh, you know, not everyone is going to enjoy Mysterious Circumstance, everyone yeah. in the world. I, I don't think so. Maybe they will. I hope. But, but maybe. Uh, but I know some people will because I've seen it at several film festivals, and I know they will. So I know we made a good product. Yeah. And so when you make a good product, you can then invest your time and your effort 
downstream into taking it as far as it'll go. And that's what we're going to do with this movie. Congratulations again. Like I said, uh, the movie is Mysterious Circumstance, The Death of Meriwether Lewis. It is going to be showing up in several theaters around Mississippi. What's the best uh, website that folks can find out a little bit more? Well, CapriMovies.com here in Jackson, is uh, they'll have your tickets for the, the showings at the Capri and then the MagnoliaCivicCenter.com in uh, New Albany, Coliseum, CorinthColiseum.com in Corinth and... Oh, forgive me. I don't know what the one is on the uh, Temple Theater in Meridian, but I know you can get them. Just Google it. Clark, that was amazing. Thank you. I could not have remembered any of that. So you've thank done you so great. Much. You did great. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> thank you so much for coming in today. We want to thank you for listening and thank our guest, Clark Ritchie, for joining us today. If you'd like to hear the show again or any past episodes, you can listen to our podcast in your favorite podcast app or on our MPB public media app. Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio. is produced by the wonderful Jermaine Flood. And join us next week at 10 a.m. for another great conversation right here on MPB Think Radio. Y'all have a great week. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.